Brown family. Once again, it's Yvette Carnell coming to you like I do every Monday and Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, before I forget, before I forget, and somebody's going to say, you didn't do it. So before I forget, the Booker T. Washington conversation that we're going to have, we're probably going to have that conversation the last Wednesday of this month. Um, so... Plan for that. Remember, it was up from slavery and the education of Booker T. Washington. If you, I know it's all of a sudden, like when I when I priced it, it was like twenty bucks, um, and now it's not twenty bucks anymore. And I don't know why it's not twenty bucks. It's like fifty dollars now. So, if you can and you haven't read it yet and you want to parse through it, you know, check get that check that out at your local library um, and see if somebody at the the Breaking Brown fam will be willing to put up some crib notes or something like that. Uh, but. That's, that might be, that might be, hey, Regina, hey, Maddie, hey, that might be what we're going to have to do. Because I know a lot of people are like, it's pricey. I didn't, it wasn't pricey when I told you to buy it, and I don't know what happened. So, and as usual, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. If you're watching this and you haven't hit the bell to get notification, please hit the bell so you get notifications when, when the show is on in case you forget. I know life gets hectic. And as always, I want you to get your libations together so that we can have this conversation. Every week, we want to have this conversation and get your whatever you have. I don't care what it is, whether it's tea, whether it's Lipton, whether it's herbal, whatever you need, whether you need a glass of wine after a hard day, whatever you need, I want you to take the time right now and just go get it. <coughs> take the time right now and do what you got to do because once I get started, I don't like to stop, Okay. Somebody put up a wine glass. Hey, all right. Greetings. Someone said greetings. I hate when people say, like people say, good evening. It always makes me think somebody's a vampire. Good evening. Um, and go to Donate Brown if you want to donate. We're going to talk about an article that I actually emailed everybody who was in the newsletter. So if you received the newsletter, you'll already have this article. Again, go to BreakingBrown.com if you want to subscribe to the newsletter. It's $2 a month. And always remember, people, like, when you subscribe, like, you have to, like, click the link to confirm your subscription. So some of you haven't been receiving it because you haven't clicked the link. And make sure, if you already subscribed, that you check your spam box. Make sure that you check your promotions folder. Make sure that you check all of that because there have been some issues with that. But I only had, like, a couple. I only had, like, a couple of bounces. So let's make sure we're speaking the same language, okay? So, I figured out something. I figured out something. And the, the thing that helped me understand that I figured out something was I saw this clip. I, I, I saw this. There's a quote from W.E.B. Du Bois that I'm going to put up. I'm mean, going to put that up. And what he talks about, what he talks about in that clip or in that quote is very interesting to me in terms of no one ever having empathy for black people. He says, the most difficult social problem in the matter of Negro health is the peculiar attitude of the nation towards the well-being of the race. There have, for instance, been few other cases in the history of civilized peoples where human suffering has been viewed with such peculiar indifference. A peculiar indifference regarding who we are, how healthy we are, how successful we are, how able we are to climb up 
the, the economic ladder. There's a peculiar indifference toward our plight in this country. And if you can hit that clip, I, mean, I think even when you look at Flint, we know some people, um, somebody was finally charged with involuntary manslaughter with regard to Flint and the poisoning of the Flint water with a neurotoxin. We know that. And so what I'm trying to, what I figured out, and, and stay with me, I'm getting there. What I figured out when I look at Flint and how, you remember, it was just a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago where somebody in Flint said it's the, it's, the, it's the N-word, it's the problem of black people that they got poisoned water because they don't pay the water bill. So blaming us for being poisoned, okay? Now, Ezra Klein, I mean, put down, Ezra Klein tweeted something this morning and he said to the effect of, and I'm, tying, I'm, I'm tying this all together, he said to the effect I don't know, I don't understand, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, that, that you, you know, it's easy to forget, he said, what a blessing it is to live in a country where politics rarely leads to violence and how fragile that blessing is. Listen, I'm very happy that we're not engaged in apocalypse right now. I know about <laughs> Venezuela. I know about, I'm very happy that we're not in an apocalyptic situation right now where we're fighting hand and nail for food in the streets and slashing each other and slashing other people. I'm very happy about that. I am, I am, I am grateful for that. But to say that, that politics rarely leads to violence. I mean, we're talking about a place where I think, I, did I mistake, but did MLK catch a bullet? <laughs> did Malcolm X catch a bullet? No, well, you know, Medgar Evers lived a long life being a voter registration advocate, right? Or did he catch a bullet? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, he got a bullet. No, okay, okay. And, and, even, and even when we talk about the labor movement in this country, there were people, that it was violent. These are violent struggles for rights. So, but when I think specifically about black people, there's a specific, because we've always, like, the labor movement had this thing where it was violent, and white people were violent against white people, and so on. But, like, everything that we've done in this country in terms of trying to bring ourselves and make ourselves equal in the country that we built, everything that we've tried to do in that vein has been met with violence. Okay? Well, we built the striving... No, 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 that's not true. We built a thriving black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that lasted 100 years. Destroyed. Right? Okay. Destroyed. <laughs> I heard we were Destroyed. in it. Destroyed. No, I heard from good authority that we were in that fight in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We were. Right up until... How did it happen? Well, the thing is, they brought in airplanes with bombs, right? So, we were fighting. We were, we we were, were doing it. it. We were doing it. Then you got a bomb. That's like the first move. Move. You just drop bomb on Amer- bombs on American citizens. And people bombs. say, and here's the kicker. Here's the kicker, everybody. I want to bring you to the kicker. When people say, how could you do this to black people? Or how could you do this to us? Because we're citizens. People say, how could you treat us that way? We're citizens. How could you treat us that way? We're human. How could you treat us that way? I'm telling you today, I have the answer. And I've mentioned the answer before, but I'm going to break the answer down. And I'm going to tell you what it is. We are an underclass in this country. Now, understand what that means. People keep saying we're poor. No, there's a difference between poverty and being an underclass. When people are in poverty, they're expected to have some level of mobility that they can rise up to some extent beyond their caste 
within that within this within the society. That is the expectation. Not all of them will, but they're poor. They're not an underclass. There's a distinction between being poor and being an underclass. It's not the same thing. So what we have to think about, let me tell you the difference. If you are a member of an underclass in this country, you're supposed to drink dirty water. That's what happens to people in the underclass. If you go to third world countries where those people are underclass, the assumption is they're supposed to drink dirty water. You see many third world countries where people are going out where the oil and everything has destroyed the water and they're putting their little, in there and they're trying to get drinking water, but the drinking water is awful for them, but that's all they have to drink. That's who they think we are. That's who they've designed us to be in this country. It's not anything that we have done as African-Americans. They have set it up through policy to make us an underclass. So when you're an underclass in this caste system, that is the expectation. The expectation is that you're not going to have anything because of the space that you occupy within society. And people keep wondering, why do you keep talking? It should be obvious, at least to you and the rest of the world, who you are and the space you occupy. Poverty and underclass are not the same thing. Let me understand one more time. Poverty and underclass are not the same thing. Underclass, you are never expected to move up. In the world, ever, you are expected to occupy a space where the main group gets to prey on you and gets to use you to make money for them. You are prey. That's how it's been set up. We are prey. We are put out as chum for the, for the shark to have a meal. That's how it has been set up in this country. And there's a, there's a book, which I bought, and I actually, um, I just got it today. It's called A Color of Law, and, and I'm, I'm going to read this book, and we're going to talk about this book at some point this summer. But one of, the, one of the things to understand when I'm talking about how our water is dirty on purpose, everything that's happening to us is on purpose. It's not, well, slavery happened in this. No, 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 no. And The Color of Law, the interview, and you can put that full. No. I mean, we put it up. The, 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 the interview... You know, I want to thank the, you know, the real news for this clip, for the author of this book. And he said something very interesting that you don't hear very often. So whenever you're ready, I want you to play that clip and, um, and we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we have a conventional belief across the political spectrum, as you said, that the reason we have segregated neighborhoods in every metropolitan area of the country is because of personal choice or uh, of private uh, discrimination or perhaps of private uh, companies like real estate companies steering people. And the Supreme Court has called that de facto segregation and says that if we have de facto segregation, there's no constitutionally permissible remedy for it. But in fact, in Baltimore and everywhere else in the country, the segregated patterns that we have in metropolitan areas are government-sponsored, government-created, not the unintended consequence of benign government actions, but the explicit, racially explicit uh, policies of government, particularly the federal government. They were unconstitutional, and uh, they've never been remedied. And I think, and this is the point of my book, the reason they've never been remedied is because we have this myth that they didn't happen on purpose. And if they happen by a million private choices and uh, personal actions, it's hard to think of millions of private choices and personal actions that can undo it. But if it was done by explicit government policy, then it's much easier to think of explicit government policies that can undo it. 
So, for example, in Baltimore, uh, in 1910, going back to the beginning of the 20th century, the city of Baltimore actually created an ordinance which specified that African Americans couldn't live, move on to blocks where whites were a majority, and vice versa. Whites couldn't move on to a block where blacks were a majority. Now, if you think about it, you'll realize that the only reason that such an ordinance could have been justified was because we had many integrated neighborhoods in Baltimore. And in fact, there were many integrated neighborhoods in Baltimore and in cities around the country. And the reason is that in those days, working class families, lower middle class families, even middle class families, that didn't have automobiles. If they needed to go to work, they needed to be able to walk to work or take very short uh, transit rides. And so they lived in the same neighborhoods, uh, African-Americans, Polish immigrants, Irish immigrants, Italian immigrants, Jewish immigrants. Paul, uh, thank you very much. Uh, now, Breaking Brown family, listen to what he said. He said, we've been made to believe that this was not intentional act of the government. Maybe white people just didn't want to live around black people. The truth is, we made, the government made it where black, white people couldn't live around black people. They made a move. You can't live on a black block. You can't live on a white block. Even though these people were integrated and living, think about how our world would have been different if everybody was. Just, when you want to talk, when people talk to me about solidarity, I think solidarity was really possible then, because all these working class people were living around each other. It's hard to be prejudiced when your neighbors are black. I'm not saying it's not possible, but you see them all the time. Y'all work the same jobs. It puts you in a position where you have to do that. But the government segregate. And it's not just when he talks about Baltimore. It's not just Baltimore. I didn't let that clip finish. But if I let it finish, if I brought in the other part of the clip, what he says is that it's the New Deal as well. You know how we talk about the New Deal and being included in the New Deal? And there's certainly a lot of aspects of the New Deal that were wonderful. But the New Deal also came in. Hear me when I say this. The New Deal came in and gave us segregated housing in places that were integrated. The New Deal came in and put up public housing and made it white and made it black. Made it white and made it black where people were integrated. The government decided intentionally that we were going to be segregated. That's how we got... And so it's so easy now to say, well, we're not going to give money to black places. We're not going to give money to black areas. We're not going to have any money in those areas because we're not, we're, we're, we're segregated. But they did that and they did that intentionally. When you ask how we became an underclass, our government made us an underclass. So think of it. I want you to think about this. And I want you to think about how idiotic it is to ask me, Yvette D. Carnell, what is the solution? You're asking me to solve America. You're asking me to solve 400 years of oppression. How can I solve that? Why aren't you asking your government, how are you going to fix this? This is a problem. How are you going to fix this problem? How are you going to fix what you did to us? My question, you asked me, vet, what's the solution? I'm asking you, why aren't we taking that to the government in terms of, hey, you see what you did here? You see what you did to us? We got, we got, like, we're at a point now that's unlike any point in history because we have all the data that shows even when government, government, in this case, government did it directly. In this case, government did it directly. But there are also other cases where the government was complicit. You come in, you want to burn down, you want to burn down a bunch of black homes, the sheriff will help you. That happened. 
The police officers will help you. You want to hurt, maim, or kill a black person? Those police officers just won't do anything. Or the person who did it will just get off. That's been our history. The government has done that intentionally and has been complicit in it intentionally. And so I don't see how you tell me now. I'm, and towards the end, I'm going to, in terms of what this video is about, I'm going to show you what a solution is and how difficult that solution is. If you want me to give solutions, I can give them to you, but they're not going to be easy. And then they might not even work in the end. You're taking a shot. But I'm going to get to that too. Let me just say this. Let me just say this as I think about it. I want to I put up... Put up that clip. Put up that clip six, Aaron. Put up that clip right there you got up. I know I've shown this clip before. I've shown this clip many a time. Hadn't changed. Hadn't changed at all. No, we're still flat. The little green thing at the bottom? We're still flat. That's Negroes. That's you, me, your friends. That's yeah. us. That's us. At the bottom. And flat. 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 Like, Latinos listen. climbing over us. Everybody just stepping on our head. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Did I get in the way of your climb to the top? I'm sorry. I've just been here 400 there years. Some, there are some white people at the bottom, but they're not flat. But they have classes. They have classes. And, 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 and I'm trying to... And why do I... Why, why do I why, how do I say this? Why do I care? I'm not saying that I can't form a coalition with, 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 with them white people. But why should I... Like, why do we keep talking about them? Because they have classes. We're just an underclass. Whole class of underclass. And they got classes. They can climb and go back and forth. Drop and then climb. And you're going to say, well, what about, what about the white people? What about the poor white people? Listen, why can't you focus on yourself? Like, why is it so hard for us to focus on us? Tell me about your mama, your daddy, your sister, your cousin, your community. Why can't we focus on us? Why do we have to just bring up like that makes you feel better? Just to say that it makes you feel better. I mean, so now listen, because that chart didn't work out. Now, let me go. I'm going to just break it down for a moment. Because this chart didn't work out. Got to give you a chart with some drawing on it. Like you do with, like you ever had, you know, get you just draw on the chart. Draw on the chart. Look at this chart. Put that chart full. Forget that. Put that chart full. Bring that chart big. Because you people just want to act like they don't understand what I'm saying. So bring the chart big. Big green, big green, big arrow, big circle. Now let me tell you, I want everybody to be, everybody, hold on, let me just say this. I want to make sure, because I want to make sure everybody gets this. I want to, I want you to just put down your glass. Well, I want you to put down your glass right now. Somebody said, well, let me just say, we're supposed to be more charitable. Where is, we have always been more charitable. Where has that gotten you? Stop saying stupid stuff in the chat room. We're supposed to be more charitable. We're always more charitable. We're not supposed to be more charitable. We're supposed to be more self-interested. Being charitable is what got you here in this chat room listening to me right now and trying to figure stuff out. We're not supposed to be more charitable. You're not being mean by being self-interested. And let's be honest. We're being self-interested, but we're being self-interested with an eye towards justice. Like, we, we have a justice claim. It's what? not just me for me. It's me because you stole my stuff. Yeah, because you took it. You took it. That's how can I, how can I... That means I want my stuff back. Yeah, give it back. <laughs> give it back. I mean, why? You know, you don't want it back? Like, how you, you, somebody, you know, your people can be like, your brother can be in jail and you'll be like, but I got to be, I, 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 I'm trying to help other people. Well, you know, no, 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 no. 10,000 per 100,000 black men in jail. What are you talking about? So that's just, don't talk idiotic to me about stuff like that. So look at this chart. Look at this chart. I want you to focus on this chart. Look at this chart. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I want to make it clear. Put down your glass and listen. <laughs> Here is black people. This little green thing at the bottom, that's us. Now, those other people at the top, that's them. 
We're here in the green, but we have the dreams of the people in the red. You're here, but you have those dreams. You aspire and dream and want the things that they want without realizing that you don't have the tools that they have. You're at the bottom, in the green, and in your mind, in our minds, we're in that red right there. That's the problem. It is this aspiration. Like we don't even, part of the reason we can't fight for what we need to fight for is because we don't see and we don't understand that we are the people at the bottom with dreams of the people in the red. So you tell me, I saw an article that said 80% of businesses, not black businesses, 80% of businesses don't make a profit or not making a profit. 80% of businesses, period. I saw that today. Now, you're going to tell me that you want to, you want to be a business owner without any protections from government. Without government ensuring your inclusion in the market, you want to be the people up there and they, listen, 80% of them aren't even making money with their business and they're not, they're not black. They don't have to worry about discrimination like that. They're white. And you're saying, we're saying that 80% of them aren't pulling a profit, but you're telling me you can be them. Your dreams don't match where you are. You have to get there. You're not there. I'm not there. We're not there. How? I can't say it is anything. It has to be a mental illness to have the dreams of the people who are the richest when we're flat. It's not even like we have a real class system. No. And to be honest, they didn't get to be the richest alone. This isn't individual success. This was networks and stable like, this is what happens when you have a class system. You can help each other out when you live in a stable community. Speak on it. Where everyone has money and everyone has uh, extra investment capital. You can Speak kind of move it. it around. Speak on it. You if might you, have a cousin who's doing yeah, well. Yeah, your nephew's a little bit worthless. Even if you ain't doing well. If or your nephew, grandmama leaving you some yeah. money. Even if you're not doing well, that's what class systems look like. Right. So even if your nephew's a little bit worthless, you can move him in and get him a $70,000 job. You can do it. You can do it. That's what happens when you have a class system. And when you're around people with wealth. So like these black individuals, you can say, well, you can be an NBA player. But no, you're an NBA player living Mutant. next to like white dentists. Mutant. <laughs> like, like you don't have a class system. You also weren't born 6'9". You also weren't born 6'9". <laughs> so, so what are you talking about? So, I mean, and now let's go to clip. Let's go to clip number eight. I want to show you. I drew something. We're going to drew, drew another thing. That's clip number eight. We're going to we, we draw, draw another thing. I need something else to kind of break it down. There's another clip with drawing. Another clip with drawing. Make it full screen. I mean, we got full screen. Full, everything. Full screen. Full screen on everything. You know people don't have the right eyeglass prescription either. So. Yeah, yes, I know I don't. Full right. screen. Look at that. Now, I want you to notice that the green line is our line is that, that goes off the chart. When it goes off the chart, that number isn't counted. That's an aberration. That's why we don't count the top five or the bottom five because they skew the data. We don't count top five, bottom five, right? That line that's off the, now the, now the, black, the, the, the line that's circled in black is you and me. That's, that's black America. That's us. That's the, line in, that's the line that's in green that's circled in black. That's us. The line off the chart, that's Oprah. Now, instead of seeing ourselves through who we are on this chart, we see ourselves through aberrations who aren't even on the chart. <laughs> Tell me how that makes sense for my life, your life, our lives. 
to see ourselves through outliers who don't even make it into the chart, meaning they don't even make it into the data. They don't even make it into the data, and we're seeing ourselves through them. Come on now. People. People. Come on. Oprah ain't even in the, and let me tell you something, Oprah ain't, when the last time, you say, well, she paid for scholarships. No, you know what happened during the civil rights movement? You know what moved the needle for? Litigation. Tell me, well, Oprah, well, Oprah pays for some litigation, when she pays for us to file a court lawsuit or something like that, then you can tell me Oprah's real. Until that, I don't want to hear about it. I, you know, about litigation, real quickly, uh, you can take a breather. I was thinking, I remember back in the 80s when I used to fly every now and then when I was a kid. And all the stewardesses... Fly every now and then when I was a kid. This when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and all the stewardesses were kind of like 30 years old and white. And now when I fly, the stewardesses, the flight attendants are all shapes and, and, and colors. And some of them are black and, and some of them are a little bit heavier and, and all of that. And I was thinking, that's a, that's a good move for justice. How did that happen? A whole lot of lawsuits. A whole lot a of whole lawsuits. A whole lot of lawsuits. If you want to talk about, I need somebody to finance these lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And people said, well, Yvette, why, are you, why, do you love, you, why do you just love Byron Allen? I don't know Byron Allen. I don't love anybody. I love that lawsuit he brought, though. <laughs> because it could, it, depending on how everything turned out, it could have ramifications for us. That doesn't mean I love him as an individual. You have to separate the individual from what you want from the court. I don't... I, I, that's the same thing regarding Oprah. And people say, well, you know, people like Trump didn't have the government. Yes, he did. His father got rich using the FHA. Look so, it up. Someone in chat actually just say. Uh, Look it up. Someone in chat just said to him, white people never compare themselves to Bill Gates or, or, or Warren Buffett. Like they don't go, have listen, to. Listen, they if don't you go to the, if they don't have to, but really and truthfully, like regular white people are okay with being regular white people. They want to drink a past Blue River or a Bud Light and cheer for the Falcons and just that be that. And they're not sitting around wanting no Bentley. They're happy being stable. If they are stable, and they're much more stable than us. We're not even happy being stable. We want a Bentley because somebody on Instagram got a Bentley. It don't matter. You Trump daddy got the FHA. Come on, man. Like these are these are he's a Trump's daddy is a white man who got rich through government. Okay? And we're talking about that we don't need government. That's government. And y'all think, I'm telling you, we just saw that line. We just saw how flat we are. And you telling me that the Cosby's had a seven million dollar house. It's two black professionals. Come on. The data doesn't support anything that we're talking about. The data doesn't support anything that we're saying. What is it? We got do we do clip number nine? Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about let's talk about that boy. Let's talk about let's talk about him. Well, I think that one came out wrong. But but you know, but you can put it up though. I guess you can. I came out of the book. But listen, Bill Gates. Listen to this, listen to this statistic carefully. Closely, carefully. More money. Worth more. Than half of black America. I want you to think about that. Bill Gates is worth more than half of all black America combined. Yeah, tell me we shouldn't just tell Think about that. I want you to, I want, no, I want you to really think about that. I want, and I'm going to break this down. I'm finna, I'm about to break this down in a way that makes sense. Now, we're talking about you're talking about the 14 million black homes, right? Now, this is a very generous accounting because a lot of us are negative. But even if you give half of these black families 1700 
And don't count the people who are negative with student loan and all that, all the debt that comes with our lives. Okay. If you count debt, give everybody 1700 that still puts black people at 12 billion. Bill Gates is worth eight times that. At over 80 million, 80 billion. We got 12 billion. He has over 80 billion. Bill Gates is worth more than half of black America combined. And he's not the only one. Jeff Bezos of Amazon.com is worth more than half of black America combined. There are many billionaires, white billionaires in this country who are worth more than half of black America combined. It's one white man, no, Bill Gates. It's one white man, Jeff Bezos. We're a whole community. We're a whole community. You don't understand what that means in terms of being an underclass and being locked out of America? That's what it means to be locked out of the country that you helped build, that your ancestors helped build with free labor. And not only with free labor, we talk about free labor like it was just our labor. No, we were locked out, and I've said this before, but I want to say it again because I want to keep driving it home. We were locked out during the time that everybody else was building wealth because there were no rules. It's easy to build wealth when you ain't got no labor laws. You got people who are free, like black, who are free of cost, like black people, and you can put them in mines and do all kinds of stuff with them. And if they die, you just go get another one. <laughs> I go get another one. That's what they did. And so it's easy to build wealth because you ain't got no cost. Like you don't have labor costs or anything. You don't have to have a, you don't have no union. You don't have no health care. You don't have to pay these people. So people were building fortunes during that time. And, and this is what has led us here. This is how we got here. Did you have to understand how we got here? We got 35 American billionaires who have fortunes that surpass half of black America. That work is up at your, at your web. Check it out if you get a chance. But you see, we're seeing life through Oprah. And we have 12 billion and shrinking. It's getting smaller because the money at the top, Bezos. He isn't even where he was. Look at the Forbes list of Bezos for, for go from like 2010 to like 2016. And his fortune just keeps, it's insurmountable. It's like, it's unlike anything you would ever believe. Now, let me tell you something. You got, you only got, we talk about, we talk about the number of black families and we talk about 14 million, right? You got, you only got 700, maybe about 700,000. Black families that are worth three hundred and fifty thousand. That's not a lot of money. Three hundred fifty thousand, but we only got seven hundred thousand of them. Maybe that's like a boomer with two houses. Yeah. That's do you understand? Do you? But but that's how you see. That's how we see ourselves. That's how we see ourselves. And the thing is, the thing to understand. Don't just blame. Don't just blame yourself, right? Because the thing to understand is that we were made to be this way. Why? We didn't start really getting wealth data until the 1990s. They made it to where we couldn't even see who we were. They made it to where we couldn't even see our wealth position. Think about who you have to be and the kind of person, the fairest you have to be to say, we're not even going to really release that data. We don't want, we don't want the, the natives to get riled up. Yeah. We want them to believe. People. <laughs> people, people, yeah, we want people to believe. believe. I mean, believe. 
believe I don't want to get out here and not I have to fight for justice. I just want to believe it's going to happen. Because people told me that I can do magic with my mind. Yeah. And I don't have to do nothing else. I can believe in belief only. I don't have to put no work into it. It's, it I, don't have to, I don't have to get in the streets like my ancestors did and fight and put blood out there. The data says something different, though. Yeah, the data says, the data says something different. And you know what? We should have been fighting all this time. It's almost after, like, after the Civil Rights Movement, we was like, oh, we done made it now. They got TV shows, people moving up, people staying in penthouses. The, the, the cars be staying in $7 million home. We, done, we made it. We good. We can sit down and we can sit down and we can sit down and act like we're white. No. And it, it, what can I say? I mean, what can I say? I think there are a lot of boomers' kids who are, feeling, who are finding out the hard way. So now we're going to talk a little bit. <laughs> let, show was a lie. Well, we already know it was. We already know it was a lie. We already know it was a lie. You can take that down, Armstrong. Yeah, 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 I have. But um, we already know it was a lie, and you know, I, I, you know, we already know what it was. But here's the thing I want to say. Everybody, everybody wants a solution. Everybody wants a solution. Well, Yvette, you know what's the solution? Okay. I'm gonna give you a don't support Kamala Harris. That's one solution. Don't don't support. She's oh, an AKA. And then after the sessions thing, after the sessions thing, everybody talking she's about squee. Yes, skiwi. And after the, and y'all AKAs better stop it with her. You know these people get started very early in trying to figure out how they're gonna be and what they're gonna be because they have ambition. Don't think that she came to Howard and did all that stuff. She had ambition. And let me just say one thing else. No, I ain't gonna say it. y'all gonna get mad. <laughs> But listen, what I'm going to say is, look at her history. You don't got to believe me. Go look at her history in California in terms of locking up black people. Go look at her history. You don't have to believe anything I say. Go look at prosecutions in California of African Americans. Go look at that. You ain't got to listen. You ain't got to believe me. Use your Google. If you want another, get somebody and get somebody who was a citizen of slaves in this country. Okay? Or who, you know, at least... Come on, man. Sides with you. Kamala Harris didn't even really talk about us. Say, well, oh, she went up against Sessions. I don't care. So what? They had a contentious little back and forth. Who cares? He interrupted her. Don't care. Because Kamala Harris didn't stand with African Americans when she was in California. So I don't care about her now. Move on. Well, she laid down with one. I said it. I said it. She laid down with one. What? What? <laughs> An African American? Willie Brown. I, I, I was, Ooh, I was trying to about, call out for being a side chick. I can't. I don't know nothing I, about that. I don't I, know who was side chicken with who. I have heard rumors. <laughs> rumors I have heard. But let me just say this. Let me just say this. What I want to say is that let's talk about your children. Okay. Let's talk about your kids. You want to talk about solutions? Let's talk about them kids you got. Let's talk about them kids you raised. Did you you raise a highly functional kid? Probably not. That's right. I said it. You probably didn't. And let me tell you how I know. Let me tell you how I know you did not raise a highly functional kid. We got that. Put that. Let me me, me just preface it. Let me preface it, (laughs) Ireland. If you, if you, if you want to raise a highly functional kid in the richest country in America, there are things that have to happen. Now I'm just going to use this as an example. I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to use this as an example, right? 
During the summertime, kids lose their math if they don't go and they don't and they're not active in math, right? You be talking about well, we should study STEM. That's the problem. Well, they don't even really hire us in STEM like that in Silicon Valley, even if we study it. But okay, let me let me, let me go with your argument in terms of raising a highly functional kid. What that means is that when well, a kid's out of school. Because a lot of these kids now be vacationing in Europe. But why the kids out of school, if you want that kid to be highly functional and go to college and do STEM and all that, you know what that means? That means that kid's going to have to go to camp during the summer. Let me show you what kind of camp they go to. Put that up, Iron. You got to have the money for camp. Engineering camp and all that. But let me tell you what we do. And I'm going to show you another clip in a minute. It's going to blow your mind. Let me show you what we do as African Americans. Instead of sending the kid to camp, because camp might cost $300, and that's just for one camp or one week. You're doing camps all summer long if you want that kid to be functional. You know what we do? We get a kid a basketball as a distraction and just give him something to do. Why don't you watch something on TV? Why don't you play around with that basketball as a distraction so that you don't, I don't have to worry about camp? And then we say, well, why don't you take care of your little sister or brother? Because I can't afford a babysitter. This society ain't built for people who can't afford babysitters. That's keeping their English up, learning vocabulary. Me, they're supposed to be doing that. That's what you do when you have a highly functional kid. When you want a highly functional kid. You don't use somebody else in your family as a babysitter just to keep the kid busy all day. And then the other kid who's doing it doesn't get what they need. The older kid who's taking care of the younger kid, they can't do what they need to be doing because they're babysitting. And because you, you know why they're babysitting? Because you couldn't afford a babysitter. That's now that kid's problem because you brought them in the world without the money to do what you needed to do to raise them to be competitive in the richest country in the world. That's what you did. That's not how to raise a highly functional kid in this country. It takes work. It takes money. Okay? Put up clip. I think it's clip 12, Army. Put up that other camp. I think it's like, I think this camp is like a math camp. This is, I think it's, somebody said, this is why I only had one kid. That's because you were thinking about your kids when you had them. Good job. You were thinking about what I can do. Everybody has to think about what they can do. What, I, what can I contribute to this kid to make their life, to make them highly functional and competitive? This camp right here, put that, put that up a little bit bigger, I mean, because I want them to see the price tag on this camp. That's like a math camp or something. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard about a math camp. I was a freshman in college. I was just talking with a few of my friends at, at Berkeley. And uh, one of the Asian kids was like, yeah, you know, I went to a math camp. And I was like, Digga what? <laughs> yeah. Digga who? Well, the same thing happened. Well, the same thing happened to me. Let me tell you. I was in high school, and I was running cross country. Yes. And I was wondering in my own mind why everybody was faster than me. <laughs> like, like I run cross country. They run cross country. What's the problem? Because 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 cross country is. I mean, it's running, but everybody was faster than me. <laughs> My parents can't afford no running camp, and they didn't know about running camp. People go to running camp win. Yes, and I never win. This camp right here was seen. 
This is this is a this is a camp in Maine. You do all kind of stuff at this camp, and it's eleven thousand dollars for the summer. That's what. That's what you. That's what they want you to be able to spend. That's the expectation that when you have a kid, you can bear the cost. Now maybe not eleven thousand, but you at least gonna be the bear. You, they said in this. Let, let me let me read something. There's an article where they where they talk about that 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 parents are expected to spend like at least nine hundred dollars per kid over the summer. And so now what happens is there's you have this article if you have the newsletter, but the, the name of the article. The name of the article, for some of you who didn't see it, is, is The Families That Can't Afford Summer. And they have this one lady, they said, Talanda Barnett is hoping for a miracle for her, for her six-year-old son. The 41-year-old daycare worker can't afford to enroll him at the center where she works. And she's just saved enough to move her family out of a shelter where they've been living for the past year into an apartment in Durham, North Carolina. There's no money for even the least expensive camp. Her only option is to leave the boy at home with his 12-year-old sister. My daughter's not going to be happy, Miss Barnett said. She doesn't want to spend the summer babysitting. Her daughter is also scheduled to stay with her father for part of the summer, an opportunity Miss Barnett, six-year-old, doesn't have. I'm getting, I'm really digging for something for him. You know, she said, but if, if, if she fails, I don't know. If it fails, I don't know. I just don't know. I have to work. It's not an option. Listen, let me tell you something, African-American people. Let me tell you something, my clan, my descendants of slaves, my crew. We built this country with free labor during a time where we were locked out of building any wealth. And they have locked us out of parenthood. This is a woman who has a job. She got a job. She's not not working. She got a job. And one of her kids is the father is involved because he's going to be taking the kid for the summer. But we don't have the money to be sending all these kids to camp. So you have to ask yourself, who is responsible for locking us out? And and, and how, how come I can't raise a highly functional kid? But at least get the behavioral stuff right. Even if you can only afford a small camp. Even if you can only afford a little camp, your kids need to be, you cannot, listen to me, listen to me, people. You cannot have these expectations for your kids if you did not do this for them. You cannot tell your kid that you're going to take care of me when I get old and I'm making an investment in you when you are not doing this for your kid. Your kid is not responsible for your other kids. That is the case. That's very much the case if we were, if we were, if we were doing Jim Crow or something. Or if we were in a third world country where we were all never going to have aspirations. But if you have aspirations for your kids, there are things that have to happen in that kid's life to make them even competitive. And given how white wealth is right now, even that doesn't promise you something. I cannot assure you, even if you do that, that you're going to make it in to that class. I cannot do that. But I'm telling you, if you don't do that, you're going to raise a failure. You're going to raise a person that does not have the skills to even move in the circles of these people, to even, to even be in an interview with these people. These people go to camp from elementary school on, and they learn everything. I went through a bunch of clips about camp. I just put up two. They're learning oceanography, programming, engineering, math, calculus early. And you got your kid bouncing a basketball down the street. I call them free-range kids. They just get the free range to do everything. Now, that might be the way you were raised, but in this, this, is, this capital is unlike anything I've ever seen right now. 
capital is vicious, it is ruthless, and it has expectations of who it's going to allow in that door. And it is not going to allow in except in the position of janitor, which is a respectful thing. But you all don't have that ambition for your kid to just have a regular job. You want your kid to go to college, go to a good college. That kid needs to go to camp. And he needs to do a thousand other things that most of us have not done. So have you raised a functional kid? Answer that for yourself. For a lot of us, the answer is no. Well, she's going to take care of her sister. Well, she's going to take care of her siblings this summer. And then when she gets back to school, you expect her to be still good in math. You expect her not to have a learning gap. It's not going to happen. And these millennials are not your reparations. You don't get to load everything on them and then call them lazy and make an excuse for what you didn't do. You stop fighting for them. Yeah. They don't owe you anything. And you better hope that you can win them back over. And the only way you win them back over is saying, look, I messed up. Let's try to make it right together. Because y'all didn't do this right. You want to bounce the ball and watch TV and have them watch Love and Hip Hop all summer then say, you, you got to go to college. Say what? Ain't seen no camp. Ain't seen no engineering. Ain't seen no advanced calculus. And you want them to do what? Had them babysitting the other kid, the younger kid, the kids in the neighborhood. And but you want you gotta you you gotta do good in school and get all A's. That's not how you get all A's. I want you to do good as a parent if you want your kid to get all A's. The expectations that you tie to your kids, that you have for your kids, should be based on you. What you've done as a parent. You cannot have those expectations for your kids when you have not put in that work as a parent. It don't work that way. And you got to stop thinking it worked that way. Showing up at the high school graduation. My, yeah, I'm a, he, I don't know why he ain't in college. I do. <laughs> I don't know why he didn't get accepted to a good college. I do. Don't you know, Iron? I have ideas. <laughs> I think I know. Can't afford these camps. Can't afford these babysitters. Maybe America has priced you out. Well, there are a few things going on here, right? So you look at the high school dropout rates for, for descendants of slaves in urban communities especially mm-hmm. over the last 50 years. When your parents didn't graduate from high school, they mm-hmm. don't, not only do they not know camps, they don't know a lot of things. Like there's a lot. Like, yeah, there's a lot of gaps. There are a lot of gaps. And it's okay to have gaps. We have these gaps because of like systemic racism. It's not we can't blame ourselves because the curriculum like wasn't adequate to our pain and we're alienated in school and, and all yeah, these other things. But the gaps are real. And the thing is, listen to what I'm telling you. I'm telling you we have to be political, right? right. But your main person that you look up to in terms of media and fiction was the Cosby show. And the Cosby's weren't political. So that's how you b- began to believe yes. that we could do this. Without yes. being political, because the Cosby Show wasn't political, our shows wasn't political. But in order of us to, in order for us to be functional, in order for us to have a future for our kids in this country, our kids and nieces and nephews, all that, we have to be political. Training us to be apolitical. Yeah, training us to be apolitical, which is bad politics. It's which not is apolitical. awful it's politics. politics. It's just awful. It's just awful. We can't, and we can't afford it. And I mean, training white people. To actually think of black people as apolitical. As apolitical, As yeah. functional black people as apolitical. Yep. Functional black people don't care about content. Don't care about politics. Don't really get into it. I don't really, want, I don't really like to talk about that. I don't, I, don't, I don't talk about politics. I, you know, I don't get into that. You know, I don't, you know. It's, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, how'd you get in? You just, you, you smart and just test well. You test really well, don't you? Well, I test real well. All right, so I test real well. Also, I realize that that's the only game in town. Like, testing. Well, no, not just testing. Politics. Like, that's like... 
the only way these problems will get fixed. I just saw like all of the generational poverty and the way people were falling. I saw the downward mobility in places like before other people, and I was like, this is a bigger problem, and this is going to hit in 15 But you got years. into good school, so you're smart. I test well. You're smart. I you test well. well. And I, my dad's an immigrant. Like, my dad's not a descendant of slaves in the same way that my mom is. Okay. So, like, that matters. He knew how to test. He knew things that, like, other black parents don't in America. Because that's why he came. Yeah. He's trying to maneuver to get into that He's stuff. He's trying to maneuver. My, my, there's a difference between, my, the, like, this ferocity of my dad and, and my mom, like, not pissing off white people. Like, there are yeah. two different... Descendants of slaves. My mom's a descendant of slaves. Her first priority and is that's, not, and that's, and that's what, keep and that, me out of jail. And, and, and let me and tell keep, you, and to credit to your mom, that's right. kind of what kept us, that's one, kind of what kept black people alive. Yeah, she it's kept like, me out of jail. Not pissing right. off white people. So, right. You know, like, it's like, but now, like, so, and like you, so you had some, so you had like, this might, like, might, this person might kill me. You know right. what I mean? Right. And so, I, yeah, I think, I think, you know, we're going to go to the phones in a second, but, you know, it, it's almost yeah, like, so. it's almost like. My parents read to me. Like little things, like a lot of things. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I agree. That's really good. They but did get sweet. divorced though. Little I don't... me getting red too. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. They did get divorced though, and that's something that's that that didn't do very good for my academic development, and I think our generation's academic development. You had two parents, yeah. which is like a big deal. You had two stable parents. Still got them. <laughs> that's a big deal having a mom and a daddy and you're not Still shuffling down. between and mom both and a like, daddy yep not shuffling same house same uh, house same love love me had my house stayed in one house I think uh, my life would be a lot better yeah I, I, no I agree like I had like I know you know it's funny I have I, I have so many good memories of my mom and my dad in the same house like I don't I, and I and, you know I feel I actually feel you know kind of sad for people who didn't who didn't get that you know, I feel really, really sad for people who didn't get that. Because no matter how you grow up, whether you grew up poor or working class or whatever, like there's something to be said about the, the funny stuff and the love you feel when, like, you have two parents in the same house and they genuinely love you. You know what I mean? Like, whatever happens, they still love your little ass. You know what I mean? Like, there's something to be said for just being, like, you know, just like you, my parents. And, and there's something, you know, that I, I mean, for, you know, my mom. Like, I remember one time she was laid off and she walked me home from school every day. That was, and like, I look back at that now, and that was like the best time of my life. Like, and I remember like, and I know people are going to get mad at me and people in the country, but I remember like, you know, like my dad, like when somebody tried to coax me into a car with candy, my dad jumped in the car with a gun and went looking for him. Like, I remember feeling protected, right? So I think, I think, I think, I think, you know, I think that was very good when people ask like, Yvette, how are you so calm and you're so regular? You don't ever get depressed. Like, I grew up loved. Yeah. That matters. Yeah. So. So let's get ready. Go to the phones. Do we got the phone set up, Army? I want to talk to these yeah, people. Yeah, I think we're good. I think we're okay, good. let's let's talk to them. Talk to the people. Uh, hold on. See what they got to say. What y'all got to say today? Gotta, what do y'all have to say today? We got And let me say something else while we're talking about. <laughs> let me say something else while Army's getting that figured out. Listen, we don't have a. <laughs> I'm gonna piss people off, but listen, you don't have the money. For another family. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, listen. No. Yeah, when you when you, when you pick your wife or husband or partner or whoever you get, that's it. 
You don't have the money to be like, I'm going to leave this family and go get another family. You don't have that kind of money because that kind of money means I got the money to take care of this family. You know, even woman or man, it don't matter. You don't have the money to be like, well, I'm divorcing you. I'm going to go start a new family. No, no, no. You only got the money for this family. What you mean is that you're going to leave behind this other family and you only got the money for one family. Listen, African-Americans, you got the money for one family. You better pick right when you pick and you better stick in there. You got one family. And if you don't, if you don't want that, you if you if you ever do get divorced for some reason, you get beat up. If you're a woman, I don't support. If you abuse, I understand all that stuff. You gotta leave, get out of there. But I'm saying you don't have the money to be supporting them kids and your new kids. You know you don't. Somebody's gonna get left behind. That's not fair to the kid. So I mean, let's 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 just let's just really break that down. All right, I think we're ready. Okay. All right. You on? Hello? I wanted to bring this topic up. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about how um, a lot of African immigrants come to the United States and they, you know, are able to kind of insert themselves and kind of benefit from affirmative action, get scholarships and jobs and employment. You know, I was reading a, a, um, a legal law magazine for lawyers, and I saw how they kept talking about this African-American woman who, you know, rose to this prominent position in Virginia. I'm not going to say any names. And I was reading, and I looked her, they call her African-American. So I looked her name, I looked her up, and I found she was African. Mm. And then it, it, it took me back to when, like, last month, and there was an old a guy I knew, and I remember he was like real. He would talk, he talked real greasy to me, you know. Mm. And there were like some uh, this 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 black guy. But then I found out I saw him. He would say little slick stuff. But when I saw him, and I was walking home from work, and he stopped, and then he told me, you know, he reintroduced himself, and I, you know. I didn't think much of it. It was a long time ago. Anyway, I went to the, I found out the guy, he said he inherited a house. Mm. I went to his house to visit, and the dude, I found out, he's Nigerian, and he was showing me his house. It was like he was bragging and boasting, like he wanted to put it in my face. And I, I went there because I thought he had, like, connections, you know, within government to help me mm. get a job. But he was really <laughs> just posing, you know. He showed off one piece of furniture in his house. He said, oh, this was owned by slaves. And then it made me think, wait a minute, that was like kind of like a diss. And you should say I want I my just stuff back. Notice how I'm taking it. Wait, it's made by slaves. I'm taking it right now. It's mine. Get it. <laughs> Give it here, Lee these, these, these people, they can like come in and insert themselves. And like nobody really calls them out. And I feel like a lot of like pro-black, Pan-Africanist nationalists, they, I agree with you, like, they constantly, you know, claim that, oh, they're just like us because we're all victims of white supremacy, and it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter about lineage or class or struggle or character, that's all relevant because we're all, we all face anti-black racism, and I just think it, it's going to hurt us if you have yeah, these, I agree. This, these people Thank who you come. Know. 
Thank you, Claude. No, I agree. I agree with That's you. all I want to say. I appreciate you. No, I, I, I agree. Like, you know, people keep talking to me about coalitions, but what is your coalition based on? Nobody's saying that you can't have coalitions, but what is it based on? Affirmative action was for African-American citizens of slaves. That's what it was for. Like I keep saying, go back and look at the LBJ speech. Nobody should get that. And I'm not being mean to 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 act to, 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 to Ghanaians or Nigerians or Kenyans or women, white women, if I say that this is mine. This right. is mine. And for some reason, African Americans, we have a hard time saying, You're taking my stuff and I want it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I got into Berkeley on affirmative action. My dad is Ghanaian, not African American. Not not African descendant of slaves. And your last name is Ose Frimpong. And my last name is Ose Frimpong. I guess that you was not. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I expect the admissions officers guess that too. So I took, like, I have no problem with the reparations program or affirmative action program that says, you know what, I'm Yosef Frimpong? You're half African. You're going to go second on this list. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is for descendants of slaves, and you got half of that. That's fine. But we're going to get in some other, we're going to get in Jamal and Tariq. Or and you Deshaun get first. You, go, you get you get there before white. You get there long before white women. Because but you got a mama who's African American. Right. Well, you know, but I got I got to wait. Yeah. You know what? I would be fine with that. I would be fine because I think that's fair and I think that's justice. Because yeah, and, and then when I, and what got me was when I read uh, Sandy Darity or when I saw Sandy Darity's interview with Antonio Moore over at Tone Talks. Go to Tone Talks. Um, put in Tone Talks in YouTube. Not now. Watch the show now. But after the show, go yeah. to Tone Talks. Put in um, Tone Talks, Sandy Darity, yeah. and watch that interview with Antonio Moore and Sandy yeah. Darity. It's worth watching a few times. Yeah, because in that interview, Sandy Darity, he's a policy professor at, second generation professor at, Ooh, at, at Duke. Yeah, yeah. But he's worried about descendants of slaves because he knows he's an anomaly. He's not trying to pretend that everyone's like him. Anyway, so Darity says, look, I talked to Duke admissions, this is Duke, he talked to Duke admissions officers and he talked to other Ivy League admissions officers, and what did they say, Yvette? They said, Africans are more docile. Yeah, we we want black faces on campus. He had a smile for the picture. We we need black faces there. We don't want black protests on campus. Yeah, so we don't. But these people on campus are benefiting from black protests. Right. So we need black, we want black immigrants because they don't go here and demand rights and walk for stuff and they're not marching for stuff and they're not asking for a change in curriculum. They're just happy to be in the United States. So they shut up and do what we tell them to do. So that's the way black faces are used to mask. Yeah, they look just like us. (laughs) <laughs> that's the point like they look just like me and you so nobody knows like oh you have to and then some of them what I'm finding is like some people won't say like if I say well where you from because I started saying like well, where you from well why does that matter oh, oh. why are you so touchy huh? oh you won't tell me where you from oh 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 wait man I'm darker than you that's not the point where you from <laughs> I don't want to talk no more I'm blocking you well okay well, I just, all you had to just say was Somalia and we would have been, you know, like that. I mean, I, but I know, at least I know, like where you're coming from and your perspective. But the problem is, people, people, people who don't come from, don't have a descendant of slaves. Joy Reid, um, yeah, uh, exactly. um, Joy Reid is a problem. Yeah, yeah Joy she's Reed exactly. Is a problem. She's exact because she's fighting for black women. But no, she ain't fight. She ain't fight for, she ain't even fight for African American women. She's yeah. fight. She ain't fight for African American women. She's fighting for this cabal like black women, like 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 her, yes. like her little small cabal of women. That's just, she ain't fighting for African American women. She's she fighting for her Kamala Harris. You know who the black women are? The black women are the women who she said something on. on she said something on her Twitter about uh, Bernie Sanders is like the guy at college who, uh, uh, you know, the guy from college who comes and won't leave and and, and eats up all your stuff. That's and it's like. 
But yeah, but I'm just like, but I'm just like, listen, no, Bernie Sanders was like, even though I don't agree with all his politics, immigration and all that stuff. But no, he's like the guy who fights for people who work on college campuses to make fifty dollars an hour. Yeah. And you know who those people are in the kitchen and stuff? Those are black people, especially black women. And Joy Reid ain't fighting for black women. I don't care. So Bernie, yeah, then they have that picture of Bernie Sanders chained to a black woman fight in 1968 fighting housing yeah, desegregation. Yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, no, he's one of the good here. guys, like, I mean, in terms of that. Why don't they just get rid of, why don't people, like, don't watch Joy Reid. Don't like, watch Joy Like, if you want Joy one Reed. thing to do, like, don't do that either. Like, find your news online. You ain't got to listen to Joy Reid bumble around and say stuff and, oh, it's just, it's, I mean, her Twitter, just, just ridiculous. Go look at her Twitter. She's, she's a ridiculous person. She's not in it for you, that's for sure. No, she's not in it for us. She's not in it for African Americans. She's just no. bumbling around. Doing... There's a reason why she's the only black face at MSNBC left. The last little pundit. There's a reason. <laughs> There's a reason. She is a tool of the establishment. There's a reason why she's still there. And Social she control. And she ain't there to help you or help me. Social Joy control. Joy Reid. Right, she thinks she's funny too. Ain't got a funny bone in her body. Let me tell you a joke. Joy, if you don't go somewhere and sit down. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Hello. Hey. Hey, what's up? Um, I actually, hey, um, I'm, I, I've called in before. I'm calling in again from South Florida. I, I caught the show a little bit late tonight, so I'm not sure if I missed something. But I just wanted to call in and make some comments. I don't really have any questions. Okay. Um, I saw your piece about the uh, the mass camps, the mass camps, and how, how I guess millennials and black people don't have enough money to raise a highly functional kid. And that's when it says I completely agree. Um, like how you saying that when you were in the track camp in your high school years, during my high school years, I won the last game, and I was wondering why these Asian kids were winning at this single exam. Uh, I, I can't exam. hear you. I can't hear you, Carl. Out there paying money to go to. Oh. oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Speak up a little bit and put your mouth into the phone a little bit because it's a, it's a little mumble for me. Oh, my bad. Sorry. No all, all I'm saying is I totally agree with your assessment of saying that African-Americans cannot afford to to uh, to raise a functional kid in terms of... Oh, you can hear me again? I can hear you. Go go ahead. Hello? Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just saying that I totally agree. I was saying I completely agree with what you're saying is that um, when I talk to my friends who have children, I try to explain to them how they don't, how they need to spend money to put their kids in math camps and and I guess Cody camps nowadays, and uh, I guess you know all these other programs that we can't afford. And I just think it's completely um, ridiculous that black people think that we're going to raise a kid on a minimum salary that's going to be competitive with the average black person who had all these programs growing up. And then the last thing I want to say is you were just talking about how um, African Americans don't differentiate between African immigrants and uh, African American descendants of slaves. And I, again, I just want to say that I don't know why we as Mrs. Lace have a very difficult time um, calling out those who are African immigrants and not African American descendants of slaves. Uh, once again, I live in South Florida, and what I have noticed is that a lot of the South American, um, the South American, uh, I guess, immigrants, they all differentiate from one another. The Cubans don't like the, the um, you know, the Colombians, the Venezuelans don't like the Puerto Ricans, and so on and so forth. Thank you, Carl. For some reason, we black people, we just accept everybody. But yeah, you. no, you're right. You're right. I appreciate you. I appreciate thank you, Carl. You. Yeah, no, you're right. We just, yeah. like, if you, like, you have to have, if you're going to have a coalition, if you're going to have a solidarity, it has to be based on something. You have to go to the table with something that you want these people to do for you as an African-American. Okay, I'm going to do this for you. What are you going to do for me? It has to be politics. I've said this a thousand times, too, but I don't feel like, yeah, the real news is online. 
I don't feel like people understand it. I've said this a thousand times. Politics is an exchange. It's not that you just go and run out in the street every time something happens and you feel like it's morally right. I got to go out here and protest for these people because it's morally right. No, it's an exchange. And if you're an advocacy group and somebody calls you and says, hey, I need you to come help this group, you need to be like, okay, let's have a, let's have a meeting about what you're going to do for me going forward. That's how yeah. it works. Yeah. And don't be ashamed to come at it like that. Don't have anyone guilt you out of making a claim for your people. Yeah, and, even, and, and, and you can't even come, like, there's some great stuff that you have to, there's some great things that we can help other people with and they can help us with. But if they're involved in something that is disenfranchising African Americans, then we still can't help. Okay? Like, the thing is, and people say, oh, Yvette, you're xenophobic, you're anti-immigrant. No, this is the thing. In a lot of these situations, America is destabilizing these countries. The American government, on the behest of corporations is destabilizing these countries. What that means is that we have immigrants come to this country who are desperate and will work for nothing, which lowers the floor in terms of wages in this country. What we should be doing if we want to stop that is stopping America, our government, from waging these, these, these wars abroad that destabilize these countries. We're still making the rubble bounce in Yemen and all these places. We destroyed Syria basically through NATO and all this stuff. But we don't want to do anything about that. Do something about what causes this in the first place. But nobody wants to do the heavy lifting. It's just, it's just easier to be like, well, I love everybody. No, make them stop. <laughs> <laughs> Can't keep doing that. Anonymous. Oh, anonymous. I have to cut the phone off. Hey! Um, I was calling about the show you did last week. And I wanted to share something with you. Okay. I was uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I'm second generation. Mm -hmm. So when you show the two houses from Ladera Heights, uh -huh. well, that wasn't quite the situation. I'm a child of the 70s. I went to Inglewood High, which was all white. Ladera okay. Heights was all white. Those houses you showed were at the bottom of Ladera Heights. Those were middle class houses of white people. In the seventies, yes. Yeah, so Hold on, can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yes. The upper level of Ladera Heights are where the wealthy white people live. Black people live and still live in Baldwin Hill. Black people live in Lamert Park, which is what Shirley said. Okay, they have lived there for years. The house you show that looked like a mansion, I had just been home from my high school reunion. I went to my friend, B.B. Moore Campbell, you may know who she is, she passed away, to her house where she lived with her husband. That house looked just like the mansion you show. So the bottom line is there have been rich black people in California for years who live at that level. Uh, most of our black stars at that time. Yeah, I said entertainers. Did I not say entertainers? I said only entertainers can live that way. I listen said that. No. Listen to me. I'm talking about rich black folks. Bourgeois. Uh, so, 
Thank you for calling in, Carla. I appreciate it. Right. But, you know, this is almost a level of delusion. I said entertainers can live that way. That's what I said. I said entertainers can live that way. And the fact that she said somebody who passed away you may know means that they must make news if I may know them. That's what I know them. But go on and tell. I mean, from Los Angeles. Right. I mean, I mean, California. I'm sorry. I was born from Los Angeles. No, yeah, I, was born I, want, I want you to. I want you to break this down because you put this up before she even said what she said. Right. So I was. Damn. I was born in Los Angeles. I was born in Los Angeles. I'm born from zero to twelve in a house in Baldwin Hills. You know Baldwin Hills. And she said Baldwin Hills. She said Baldwin Hills. Fancy Baldwin Hills. Do you know what my mom did to to uh, to get a house in fancy Baldwin Hills where all the rich black people are? My mom was a nurse. That means in 1977, when she bought that house for 40, 44k for forty four thousand dollars, she was a nurse. So a nurse could buy a house. Yeah, a nurse bought a house in Baldwin Hills. Hills. A nurse, and my dad was like hustling through school and doing something, working for Quaker Oats or something. Like it was like a nurse, and then a guy with a part time job bought a house in Baldwin Hills. A nurse and a guy with a part time job cannot me. buy a house in Baldwin Hills right now. If you go, I got it in that thing. If you got it in that thing, you got it in that thing. That that yeah. USB. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. go to the last show, which was you know, the, I, I put the date on there. I want you. Don't let baby boomers give you a No, go, go through the show. I want to show you the house. She's saying, and, and mind you, she said, I knew a woman who had a house like that. I'm not saying that you could not have known a woman who had a house like that. I'm saying that we only have 700,000 people with 350K. With three hundred fifty thousand dollars, you can get into the top one percent of black people for one point four million dollars. Don't tell me about the person that you knew, but put that house up again. Uh, the, the nice one or the, the regular? No, the, the the seven million dollar one. Oh, okay. I knew somebody who had a house just like that. Uh, I knew somebody who had a house just like that. Yes, this. Put that up. For those of you who weren't here last week, let's put it up. Let's put it up. Somebody said voodoo the troll. This is what she's talking about. Black people running around saying, I know people who had houses just like this. And I'm not saying you didn't know an entertainer or somebody random who, who had a house. But I'm telling you, the data shows you that we, did not, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have people with houses like this on the regular. No. We didn't have any money like this until, until, more, until, the, until um, what's his name, so Motown, and he got that money. And maybe you go to Dr. Dre house. Like Antonio did, he got that money. You got people who got that money. But stop looking at these people. These people are aberrations. They're not you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my mom as a nurse. The house, look look at the house range. Look at the house range in Ladera Heights. Is 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 six hundred thousand to one point five million? That's Ladera. What okay. people can't buy that house anymore? Like, but look at that. I'm just I'm I'm just looking at the house range right now. These Ladera doesn't have seven million dollar homes. These these neighborhoods that we're talking about, these are not, I'm looking at it right now. These are not seven million dollar homes. Yeah. You're just wrong. If you just go to like, don't believe me. Don't believe nothing I say. Just go to Zillow. Just go to Zillow and look at these areas and look at the house ranges. You don't have to believe nothing I say. Go to Zillow and look at these areas and look at the range of the houses and what they cost. 
And Ladera is where a lot of you, when you talk about, this is where a lot of these upper, uh, these so-called rich black people come from. You can go to Baldwin too and look at, look at the range in Ladera Heights. Look at the ranges. What? You don't have to believe me. Yeah. There aren't any $7 million houses in those areas. And you're going to, I mean, we, look at that house, man. I mean, last week we went through the whole house. And we went through the bedroom. We went through when the house was built. We went through everything. Somebody put the somebody put the zip code for Ladera. But if you look up Ladera House, you can find you can find the zip code. If you look no, up, it's all the same. My old zip code yeah. is nine thousand eight. Yeah, it's the nine same zero as zero and, and I was in Baldwin. Uh, I was in Baldwin called? Hills. He was in Baldwin Hills. And I, I Ladera Heights. You can, you can buy look a up. house in Baldwin Hills in the seventies for forty four grand. Don't, you like cannot say, do that now. That's why black people look, are getting kicked out of L A. Yeah. And just and the reason they didn't fix up those seventies looking houses because they didn't have the money. You should never have a house looking like it was built in 1972. But you had pulled out all that money, to, all that house to put your kids through school and all kind of stuff. So you didn't have the money. You didn't have the money to do it. So just, I mean, like I said, don't trust me. Just go look at the range of, just look at the, look at the demographics of black versus white in the area. And look at the range of houses. Like I said, Ladera Heights, like the height of it is like 1.5 million. You don't have to believe nothing that I say. Just go look at it. Just go check it out. That's it. That's and black people. Black people, what this means is if your people didn't buy a house before 1990, L.A. not for you. Like, L.A. is yeah. not for you. Like, if, that, if your people didn't buy a house before 1990, like, sorry, you've been, like, L.A., move someplace else. Yeah, and I'm tired of telling, I'm tired, I'm tired, of, I'm tired of old people telling me what Baby they had. Don't know. And like, no, you know, like, oh, I, 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 went a, I went in a woman's it. house right now. I went in a woman's house, and, and she, her house looked like that. Yeah. I want to know how her kids are doing. She had a $7 million house. If she came back, next person, I want to say, how, tell me about your kids. How are your kids doing? Yeah, tell me about that, too. Tell me about your kids, because I, I suspect her kids are not doing as well. Well, grandkids, I don't know how old she was. grandkids, yeah. I suspect her kids are not doing as well as she's, she's fronting. But we'll keep going. Yep. Whew. Yeah, these baby boomers, don't listen to them. <laughs> don't. Crazy. I went in somebody's house one time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you didn't. You might have been in that King Cole house. That was a nice house. <laughs> yeah, you're on. Hello? It's supposed to be on. You on? Hello? Ask him hello. Hello? Oh, hold on. You're on. Hello? Okay. Hey. I got a beat, Jerry, now. Hello? How you doing? Yes. How you doing? This is um, AJ in Brooklyn. How you I'm doing? I'm just pulling you back because you're right on the money. You're right on the money on so many levels. But the problem is, a lot of people have been brainwashed, conditioned, and they don't believe what you're saying because they believe that they've been taught which is all wrong. They have to, like, um, cleanse themselves and their mind and put in the correct information because they can't afford to have the market, especially in New York, million better. And that's the poorest neighborhood, million better. And they don't spend money on education. We spend money on electric. We spend money on the camera. But we don't spend money on the camps, like you said. And that's really the best way to get your college. Because that's the case we talk about when they go into the college to do what camp a person really comes from. 
And for us African Americans, we don't realize that we are not the we have an ability to go to the country. And the mother immigrant, they don't. If we're connected to the country, and we don't stop sharing our heritage. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate you, Carla. I don't know what's going on with I couldn't hear her good. Could y'all hear her? I couldn't hear her good. I couldn't hear her good. Could you hear Army? Nah, I don't know. I couldn't hear her. Sometimes I call her mobile. But we have some great callers. I will say that. All right, next one. Right, Hello? Yes. Hey. Hi, Zach. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not going to give my name. Man, That's fine. But I'm from And uh, <laughs> I just want to say thank you for doing what you're doing. And I learned from you every single time you're thank online. You. Every single time. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right back at you. Yeah, but I'm, uh, yeah, I want to say to everyone, like, um, there's a, this Chris Rock, he did a stand-up, uh, he did a skit called, uh, his neighborhood uh, in uh, Alpine, New Jersey. And it breaks down specifically like what you're talking about between wealth and income. He talked about him and three other black people living on the same block of all white people. His house costs millions of dollars and they're all entertainers. MJ, I mean, uh, Mary, Mary J, Jay-Z, mm. and uh, I forget who else, but yeah, basically uh, Eddie Murphy. Okay. Right there. Specifically, and then the next person is, um, the white guy next to him is a dentist. Yeah, I like, remember that. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, it's, we, I guess we just gotta come to, like, to terms with the fact that a lot of this, a lot of this is accepted by the government for these people to approve this wealth. Huh. Like, Baltimore is like a prime example. Like, I would say it's one of the worst examples of redlining and how this wealth disparity was like created. So like if anyone just after the show go to the real news, they have a series going right now on how this occurred. How the federal yeah. government subsidized yep. white flight and just You're put exactly money right. into the pocket for generations to come while yep. we were locked out. Even our bets were locked out. Yeah, I no, I agree, Carl. I agree. You're right. You're exactly right. Thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I mean, yeah, I think that's. Ex- I mean, I don't think we understand how we've been locked out. I think. I think. Like I said, I put this book up a little while ago. It just came today. Time for the show, huh? But we're gonna read this color law thing. Uh, so. yeah. Now he he mentioned two 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 ways we're locked out. One was in housing. The other was employment. Mm. Right, like. You have to be an entertainer to live in that neighborhood, but you could also be a dentist or an architect if you're white. Not a lot of black dentists, not a black architect. Have I met a black? I have I white. met a black architect? I met a lot of black professionals. Have I met a black architect? No, I haven't. Under, under fifty. Because that's art too, right? No, that's so, art and school and that's studying art, like and math and, math and physics. About everything it takes to build an architect. Have I met a black architect under fifty? I don't. I mean, I'm sure like they're famous black architects, yeah, but like, but, like not every day. Like yeah. I know white architects. Like I know like people. Like I can, I can just I can go to my Facebook and and I have four white architect friends because I went to college with them. I don't know any black architects. But think about this, Army. Yeah. I want you to think about this. Like you talk about dentists and white dentists and and all this. Think about and I want you to think about why do you think when you go to rich neighborhoods that the people who that that the mostly women who are the real estate people. 
who are the people who show you the houses are white women who are married to wealthy men. Because they have the connections with all the other wealthy people. Like, that's social capital. We don't have social capital. So and we're you act like out, that don't matter. We're locked out of jobs, we're locked out of housing, and we're locked out of the social capital. Yeah. So what you going to do, Froggy? You're going to frog your job. Oh, yeah. tell people about your pipeline. We're gonna, you know what I think we should start doing? I think we should start voting. <laughs> I think we should start voting on what should go on the black agenda. Now, Iron Man, I think at a later show we're going to debate this, but I want Iron Man to give y'all... His idea about pipelines, Iron Man, ready, set, go. All right, you need pipelines. I talked before about how I went to a dentist, uh, get my dental, my dental work done at the dental hygienist school. I don't have the Iron Man cam on, so you just have to listen to my voice and watch that face. So I went to a dental You're hygienist school. Though. I hate it that you don't have your camera. I got the camera. <laughs> oh, so I went to a dentist. Um, I went to a dentist's office and. My, my dental hygienist was a white woman at the dental school. And I was like, well, she's a white woman. That's fine. Cool. Uh, and then I looked at all the dental hygienist students who were white women. And then I went to the hallway and I looked at all of the cohort pictures of the classes of dental hygienists oh. from Athens Technical. And they were all white women. white women. It was like looking at stewardesses from 1970. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of white women. A lot of white women. So I'm like, and Athens is 27% black. And when you take Athens, Georgia, and when you take out the college students, it goes up to 35 or something like that. 35, 40% black. So that's, I didn't know that dental hygienists make $60,000 a year coming out of school. That's a really? good job. That's a good job. Really? You're cleaning teeth. People don't want to do it. And like it's skill and you're just working on strangers' teeth. But you got to get hired by a dentist. So we gotta, you need a pipeline that takes kids from fifth grade into dental hygienist school and then another sort of like political maneuver that will get them hired by dentists. And that's going to be a, a special thing. But the idea that a pipeline as a matter of reparations I think is a good idea. I think if you're going to start a school, if you're going to build a hospital in a neighborhood and that neighborhood has black people, your hospital has to have a pipeline to take kids from fifth grade to general practice doctor. And like that's part black of what... Kids. It, black kids. Black kids. Okay. Black kids from that neighborhood. Pipelines. Pipelines can work. They can also be awful, but pipelines can work. And you have to take pipelines seriously and like punish institutions that don't institute pipelines for black kids from the neighborhood to get to the highest echelons or even the middle echelons. I'm talking about dental hygienists. Like, I'm talking about pipelines to become plumbers. I didn't know they make 60. Yes, that's a lot of money. $60,000 of clean teeth. God damn, what a little thing they use. Not that time for me. But anyway, yeah, I never knew that. So that's political pressure. That's political pressure the government can do. Say, like, look, university, if I don't see... Big university in Athens, Georgia. If I don't see your high five figures and six figure administrators being black and being from Athens, Georgia, we're going to talk about your tax exempt status. Okay, we're going to start so, talking about your licenses. So I mean, I'm going to have this as part of a show at some point, um, probably next week, to talk about pipelines. And I have some concerns, but I think I think no, I think it's a good idea. But I think I have I I have some other stuff I want to talk about. I think it's a good idea though in general. Um, in terms of pipeline, like, we got a school to prison pipeline. Why we can't have yeah, a school to exactly. school to dentistry pipeline? Shit, we got we can have a school to whatever construction work pipeline, whatever. Teach, teach you how to lay brick, whatever you got to do. Well, we need a pipeline, so I'm not I'm not I, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. Well, so. or come up, callers, come up with other strategies yeah. to get black people in these places. We're locked out. I should know black architects. Yeah. Yvette knows a lot of black people. Do you know any black architects? No, I know a lot of black professionals too, but I don't know no architects. Exactly. And that's like, there are a lot of architects out there. I know white architects. I know several. I shouldn't know several. 
and not know any black architects. Yeah, I don't know any black architect. And architect? Yeah, you know a lot of professors. Yeah. Not that weird of a profession. Yeah, but it's artsy though. Yeah. Like you have to like be able to go like architects be seeing stuff <laughs> and go different places and look at the best architecture and stuff. We just trying to find ways to live. We come from slaves now. <laughs> don't make don't talk about us not being architects. <laughs> Well, maybe not this generation. All right, let's call. Next generation, baby. We, we can get our politics right. You're on. Hello? Hey. Hi. How y'all doing? Pretty good. How are you? I am good. Um, I've been listening to you guys for a while now, and <clears throat> had laryngitis. Just got my voice back today. Oh, it's not working out. I um I just wanted to, to let you know that the information that you give, I, I've seen people say it's depressing or whatever, but... I find it to be a course in um, humbling um, our people because you go through life um, thinking, and I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, you go through life thinking that you um, can just work real hard and it'll all work out and it'll be great. And then when it doesn't, you blame yourself. And to understand that there's a system here and you're just, you know, kind of a victim of it, not that you can't do stuff for yourself um, here and there, but the system is what it is and what you can do for your people can be limited if you try to just do stuff for your own. And um, that's when I, I look at the, the idea of having this kind of information is a humbling factor. Mm. I mean, if we really truly understand this, then it, it just changes everything because then it's not just you. You're not a screw up, you know? This is a system. Then you can then look at um, how do we then partner and impact kids. I mean, I, I'm so sick of people asking me why I don't have kids. And I'm just like, because you need two things. You need really good parents and a lot of money. There you go. And, um, but I can impact the lives of my nieces and nephews, but I need the help of their parents and other aunts and uncles to to create this whole thing, and we need to humble ourselves and say, okay, what what don't we know that we can give these kids? So the idea of you saying to uh, a parent, hey, you got to come to grips with what you didn't give this millennial, and you guys need to work together so you can get it, is is revolutionary. I was talking to a lady the other day. She um, works with a a bunch of uh, other white women, and they're doing this innovative stuff, working with neuroscientists and trying to help um, black kids in the neighborhood that I live in because these kids basically come up and they have no consistency, no way to know from day to day that life is going to be okay for them because they may not eat one day. Maybe there's a job by another day. Maybe there's all kinds of stuff. And the idea of just providing that consistency has created so much. And I'm like, why can't we can do those kind of things? Uh, but we have to be political and we have to understand Black politics, I just want to thank both you and Irony for the education and, um, you know, each one teach one and we'll do what we can. But uh, I really enjoy your show and thank you for taking my call. Thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah, we got to do what we can from where we are. I'm not saying you can't do, you definitely got to do that. Wherever you are, from what, from wherever you are, you got to do whatever you can. Somebody asked what's the name of this book that I had. Um, it's The Color of Law. The Color of Law is the name of the book. A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America by Richard Rothstein. Um, so that's the name of the book. Um, I'm going to read the book. But I got to finish reading another book first. So I ain't ready for that book yet. Um, <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so I, I no, I agree with her. You definitely have to do what you can, and part of what you can is trying to make sure your kid is highly functional. I mean, that's part of what you have to do right now. That's part of what we have to do. So, I mean, that's kind of where we are, right? So, let's take one last call. You're on. Hey. Just come on, Bill. An advocate or is he uh, not? I don't know. I don't watch him. I, I, I don't know how he has a show. I know. <laughs> I mean, listen, I just, I just don't find him funny. I don't find him insightful. And I don't say that in a way to just kind of, you know, to, to kind of just hit the brother. But the point to which you're interviewing, at the point which you're interviewing KKK members, like, these are people. These are people. Yeah, yeah, all right. There you go. All right. They're terrorists. All right. The KKK, they're terrorists. They're members right. of a terror. That's like, it, for Your me. job is to scare black people out Well, yeah, that, you might as well be interviewing Al-Qaeda, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. They, they, they terrorize and murder black people. And you're interviewing them like, you know, it's something funny. It ain't nothing funny about it. So the point to which you do that for no, me, no, I have a problem. No, no. <laughs> yeah, so go ahead, Carl. I'm sorry. Well, oh, I, I, I thought you were giving me the... <laughs> I didn't give you no message, Aaron. <laughs> Quick finger, Aaron. It does it again. I didn't give... I wanted to go red, but I didn't give Aaron no, no <laughs> signal to cut no collar off. I, I, I was just talking. I was just... I just made eye contact <laughs> with Aaron. And the next thing... I wasn't, tr- I wasn't trying to send no signal. <laughs> I, I misread the signal. <laughs> I'm sorry, Carla. You were really a good call. And I really wanted to hear what you... Lord. So what we are going to have to do... Because uh, people talk about why we don't have a better politics. And I think it's because it's domestic terrorism. People underestimate the, the effect of all those assassinations, of, of all of those killings. and lynch- Like, domestic terrorism has scared black politics. And I didn't know the extent of it until I moved to the South. Um, I'd gotten by proxy by some of my mom's family, but like not the extent of how like institutionalized white fear is. I mean, black people's fear of 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 white people here is until I moved down here, and like that's why we don't have a black politics we deserve. That's one of the reasons. There are many reasons, but one of them is we're the victims of domestic terrorism. With like, yeah, they'll snatch you up, man. They'll snatch you up, and you go places here, like you go places, I mean, you know, like. Confederate flag flies high, and they know what it is. Yeah, it's 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 a chilling effect on black politics. So don't have people telling you that we're asking for you to beg the white man. No, we are asking you to risk something in doing yep. the black politics that matters. It's going to take the bravest of us. And by the way, if anything ever happens to me and a vet. I got a family, and a vet has aspirations. So if anything ever yeah, happens to us, yeah, I ain't never kill myself. Don't think I kill myself. No. I would never kill myself. I ain't and never suffered from depression. I don't. So if I show up in some kind of river, you know, Yvette, don't be like, well, I think she was depressed. I ain't no. never been depressed. I don't know how y'all get depressed. Yvette, the data makes me depressed. I don't see how. But I want to. I want to just say something. Real quick, you know, I just want to finish. Don't. Go let, ahead. I don't forgive anybody. If anything ever happens to me and mine, and anything ever happens to Yvette or both of us, we don't forgive anybody. Yeah, I and don't it, forgive nobody. And here's the thing. Shut it down. No, I I agree. And here's the thing. And here's a here's a Shut conversation down, that people. me and Iron Me. I agree with pipelines, but the problem about pipelines is that we ain't got no wealth. Like like I agree. Like that we need a pipeline, right? But the problem is we got two percent. We got two per six, two point six percent of the wealth. 
And so, like, what you really need to do to make us, what the government needs to do to make us viable for a pipeline to go to do, to be a surgeon or a doctor or hygienist is give us some money. Like, that's what needs to happen because we're an underclass. So what has to happen is the government has to make us not an underclass because that's why people not dealing with us. It's not because they just hate black skin or brown skin or light skin or hate black people. It's because we're an underclass. And so there's no pipeline to get rich and don't nobody want to deal with us because we're like an albatross around, around their neck because we're an underclass. That's the real problem. You know, why should, you know, you know, they, there, there's no way to know a black architect because there are no contracts to make sure or no government to ensure that there are black architects. So it's easy to shut out black people who would become architects because the government is there to ensure that we have, that we're not shut out. That's the government's responsibility. So when you tell me you want to be a black businessman, when you tell me that, that you want to do that stuff. But all this stuff is run by white people and the government is not making sure that the market, this market, this free market that you hear so much about, the government is not making sure and ensuring that you can be a part of that free market and these people don't just shut you out. You're never going to see a black architect. I'm actually uh, I'm shocked that you see black engineers. You know, you know, you know, one sibling also got to stop having all the kids and playing the victim. You can't have the kids and play the victim. And then your other people in the family took care of the kids and you playing the victim. Oh, I well, I got all these babies and I, well, she, she can do it. She ain't got no baby. No, you had all them babies. That's the responsibility, right? You're supposed to be able to pay for that. That's what that means. It means you got to be responsible. You got to be responsible, as a parent, you can't rely on your whole. I'm not saying like people say, well, you better take some really, you need to be able to raise them because what America is doing, they're making sure that there's other stuff for those people to do. Those people should be studying other stuff, doing STEM, reading about philosophy, like I'm all this other stuff that's gonna make you able and capable to move in this environment. You can't do that if you just babysitting all the time. And then the person you babysit for is like, well, I'm the victim and I got the kids. Like that's some kind of like, people talk about kids like they got cancer. Like, well, I got kids. I can't, well, I didn't tell you to do that. So I think there's a lot that has to happen. You know, the government has to keep the pipeline open. When you talk about a pipeline, the government has to give us money for the pipeline. Like, because these, if you're a poor kid and you ain't got no stability, I no just, I just don't. The world is gonna help. No, no pipeline in the world is gonna help, and that's the government's fault. Uh-huh. That's the government's fault. So I tell people to find you and all that stuff. Breakingbrown.com, people, is where you can sign up for the newsletter and um, all that good stuff, and you can sign up to do a monthly donation three, five, seven, ten, whatever you want to do per month. Go to donatebrown.com if you want to donate a, a one-time donation. Um, go to subscribe to brown.com, please. Also, that's free. I just want to add you to my mailing list so that I have my people in one place, like I say all the time. Um, and like I said at the beginning, we're going to do the Booker T. Washington show the last Wednesday of this month. Um, so and Tell your friends about this show. Yeah, and subscribe to this show. Tell your friends. And hit the, and hit the bell button to this show, right? Um, and, and don't forget what the government owes you and let's start advocating for that. And what I think we're going to do on this show is you're going to have to start, you know, voting up and down on what you think should be on the black agenda in terms of wealth, but we ain't got no money. (laughs) That's what you have to understand. Don't nobody just, well, I just hate black people. No, they know when you walk up what you are, you ain't got no money. I got no, I ain't got, I don't got to talk to you. I ain't got to deal with you. I got to do nothing with you. And what can you do? You can't sue me because that requires buying an attorney. You ain't got it. So the only way to fix us is to fix our financial situation. 
And that's just where we are. So thank you, everybody. I will see you all again on Monday. Um, if I don't do it quick here, I got a lot of stuff to do this week. I'm doing, but I, if I don't, I'll be. I, I, I'll see you all on Monday. Love it as usual. Um, and thank y'all for shouting out, shouting out these trolls. They be crazy up in here. Appreciate you.